you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. While I've been here, I've had, of course, in the question and answer panel yesterday, you heard people ask questions about what you do in your church when things are going down the road. And I didn't get into that particular answer. I believe that Elder Skeet gave a marvelous answer to that. I've had people talk to me about difficulties and obstacles that they're facing, whether it's in school or whether it's in... And I'm talking about with apostasy that's going on within. How do you deal with that? You know, some people just think, and we've had certainly plenty of those through our history, have just cut and run. And then they shoot. And then, of course, um, we look down through history and we see the sorrows that apostasy brings. Now, I want to be very clear as I'm preaching. I have not said the Seventh-day Adventist Church is in apostasy. I do not believe that. I do believe that we are fools, though, foolish, to stick our head in the sand and say that, there's, that the devil is not challenging us from within. Okay? And as I read the prophets from the Old Testament, most of the time, they, they didn't have a lot of good things to say. Most of the time, they... They shocked God's people with God's concerns. Now, there are a lot of beautiful things and a lot of beautiful promises, and I thank God for that. I don't know if any of you run across this. This is a, this is a wonderful little tool. Maybe you weren't running it with your, on your iPods and so forth, and that's great. But I like this. This is... Um, Christ Object Lessons in the, five, in the Conflict of the Ages series in kind of a condensed form in one book so you can take with you places. It's just a very powerful tool. Um, this is Acts of the Apostles. I think it's time for you to begin to read the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles is not finished. It's not finished in Scripture because we are finishing it. The last parts of the Acts of the Apostles will actually be written in the kingdom of heaven. We're not going to write it here, but we're going to finish the story. And you're in that story. I I want to say this about God's church. Just listen, this is God's purpose for His church. There's the purpose-driven church, but you better read God's purpose for His church. Um, I didn't say everything I wanted to say yesterday morning because I ran out of time. But the idols that are being set up in the Christian church and in the, even in, at some Adventist churches, is a humanistic, a human-centered worship. And that's an idol. When you make man the center of worship, that is an idol. But I want to read this because I want you to be of courage this morning. The church is God's fortress, his city of refuge, which he holds in a revolted world. Any betrayal of the church is treachery to him who has brought mankind, bought mankind with the blood of his only begotten son. So if you have unfaithful ministers and unfaithful teachers, God regards those positions of trust 
when they are betrayed as treachery. But let God take care of it. Now we'll speak, we need to speak, but God is able to take care of it. And I'm going to give you the answer this morning. I'm going to enlarge on what Elder Skeet said. I'm skipping down just a little bit. Through the centuries of persecution, conflict, and darkness, God has sustained His church. Now listen to this next sentence. Not one cloud has fallen upon it that He has not prepared for. Whoa. So if you find betrayal in the classroom, God already saw it, and He already has an answer for it. If you have betrayal in the pulpit, God already saw it, and He has an answer for it. He, he doesn't just see it. God has solutions. Amen. Amen. He has solutions. Not one opposing force has risen to counterwork his work that he has not foreseen. All that has taken place as he predicted, he has not left his church forsaken, but has traced in prophetic declarations what would occur, that which the Holy Spirit inspired the prophets to foretell has been brought about. All his purposes will be fulfilled. His law is linked with his throne, and no power of evil can destroy it. Truth is inspired and guarded by God, and it will triumph. It will triumph over all opposition. That should encourage our hearts. I, I think it's probably made, I apologize for not having the, the, the direct thing, and because as I was putting this together, I, I've been praying. I said, Lord, what do you want me to say this morning? So this is coming out of my memory, but it's pretty, the memory I think is pretty accurate. There's a, there's a section in Testimonies, I think it's volume 8, and it describes a very interesting thing there. It says that, it pictures all churches, all denominations being weighed in the balances of the sanctuary. Now, God is a God of fairness and justice, is he not? So if he's going to weigh the Baptists and the Catholics and the Episcopalians, and he's going to weigh all of them in the balances of the sanctuary, do you think he's not also going to weigh Seventh-day Adventists? Is he not going to weigh our church? And he does. In the vision. And we don't come up too good. In fact, it says it comes to the place that, I don't know what all that is. You're working on getting mine up there? That's not mine. What's that? Oh, you're going you're gonna to find it for me. Okay. I'm getting lots of help I didn't even know about. See, the Lord sends you help when you don't know it. Okay. Good deal. Wonderful. Um, we don't come up so good. And it says that we get to the place that we even abhor ourselves. By the way, that's what apostasy always does. It, it, it gets to the place that it's just, you, you just can't stand yourself. I mean, you look at the apostasies in Israel, and they were awful. Now, you could say at that moment, so is God going to write us off? as a people, if we are weighed in the balance of the sanctuary. Now, there are people hanging around the edges of the Adventist church that are ready to stand up and shout and say, absolutely, you guys are finished, et cetera, et cetera. 
But I'm telling you, they didn't consult the prophecies of Revelation that we will prophesy again, and that prophecy will be successful. They did not consult Revelation chapter 18. And the, and the chapter on this weighing in the balances of the sanctuary being found wanting ends with saying that there's going to be a great revival of primitive godliness, and then it ends by saying that the spirit of prayer permeates every believer. So I want to tell you that there's no obstacle that you're facing in either lukewarm churches or on fire churches or churches that are fooling with apostasy that God does not already have an answer to. And I want to speak to that this morning. Luke chapter 11. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place his, when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Never before has the church needed to understand prayer. And I know I'm, I'm preaching in a sense to the choir here this morning, but I don't think you understand clearly what, we've got, what we're up against and what we've, got to, what we've got to accomplish. You are wonderful young people, and I praise God for you. But I want to tell you what. You've been really beat up by Satan. You've got 6,000 years of degeneracy from sin on your genes. And I want to tell you that no generation has been hit with the garbage that you've been hit. You've watched more murders and more adultery and more fornication. You have seen more junk than all the previous generations put together. Your mind has been bombarded with the grossest of sins. And you're living and we are in a fog. And our churches are in a fog. You just have to understand that you've been hit with everything the devil can figure out in order that you will not be ready for when he springs the big one. And if you want to read it, you ought to go and read what Ellen White says when she sat in and saw the devil's planning. You ought to read that really careful. He's planning to do a big one. And when he does it, when he springs his final great deception on the world, he wants Seventh-day Adventists to be in some kind of hazy fog. He has already stolen the march on us. Now, there's only one solution to this. And I'll tell you, uh, when you heard Elder Skeet's point the other night that we have to have divine power, but there's only one way you get that divine power, and that is an intercessory, prevailing, persistent, fervent prayer. You need to know how to assault the heavens. And you need to know how to get answers. Why are there so many unanswered prayers? If you've got more unanswered prayers in your life than you've got answered prayers, there's something going wrong with your prayer life. As Paul Ratsara says, president of the Southern Indian Ocean African Division, he says in the, in the New Testament, they usually, got plen- they, they usually got their prayers answered. It was very seldom God said no. Here we've gotten so used to God saying no that we just figure that's maybe the first answer is coming from the throne. But I'm telling you, God is ready to work, but we have to be willing to fulfill the conditions of answered prayer. What, what is meant here? Let's, go, let's listen to the teachings of Jesus. By the way, Jesus is a greater authority than the Apostle Paul. Amen. He's a greater authority than the Apostle John. He's a greater authority than the prophets. When you have the teachings of Jesus, you have the very purest of pure streams. So let's ask ourselves and listen to Jesus' response. He gives, again, that precious 
prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. I pray that prayer a lot. Ellen White said she prayed it in case she forgot something. I think that's beautiful. She also says that in this prayer, Jesus opens up to us the privilege. You think about us. I mean, listen, we, we're so far from the creation. We're, we're, if we saw ourselves in comparison to the creation, we would cover, we'd say to ourselves, how can God even minister to such poor, degraded beings like us? While the world is strutting its stuff, God's people have got to realize that we're in great need. Our Father, you can call him your Father. And she says that he loves, he delights for us to address him as our Father. Then Jesus gave a parable. And he said to them, verse 5, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight? I want to tell you that we are facing the midnight of the world. Isaiah says, Arise and shine. My father used to, my father used to quote that to two boys. There we were in those bunk beds in that little house, one bathroom. My father would get up to shave in the morning, and he would come to wake us up, and I can still have it ringing in my ears. Arise and shine, for your light has come. For darkness cover the earth and gross darkness the people. And God causes people to rise and shine. And I think we need to get up in those early hours in the morning, young people, and begin to wrestle with God. I, I wish you sometime for, for your group, you ought, to, you ought to go to Africa and get Reginald Sabanda and bring him here. Uh, let me tell you just real quickly, if you've not heard his story, but let, me, let me just tell you very quickly. Here's a young African, 18-year-old young man who was, a, who was making blocks and earning lots of money. Even in American terms, he was earning lots of money. But he became converted, and he became a Seventh-day Adventist, and he's just on fire to win souls. So he's spending all of his money to hire evangelistic teams of his friends to send them out. He'd spend his evenings going out and sharing his faith. Finally, the brethren recognized him. They were having so much success. They said, we want you to become a pastor. And the conference committee turned the president down. So he says, well, why don't you come and be the janitor? He said, a janitor? He said, I'm, he's a Zulu. He says, I've never been a janitor in my life. Why would I want to be the janitor? But he said, I, I began to pray. And the Lord says to me, look, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. So he says, okay, I'll take it, $40 a month or whatever it was. And so then in the evenings, he'd go hold evangelistic meetings. Pretty soon they found out that he was very dependable. And so they made him the assistant or associate treasurer of the conference because, you know, he was responsible for taking cash around. We don't do that. We just send it to people's bank accounts nowadays But in this economy. But that economy is different. He lives in Zimbabwe, by the way. His economy, if you know anything about that, is what's happening there. It's just absolutely coming apart at the seams. And... Uh, by the way, this only happened, what I'm telling you is only about three or four years old. It's current going on right at the moment as I speak. This is not ancient history. We brought him into our minister's meeting in Michigan. Our ministers loved him. I loved him. In fact, he, he's, he's uh, forgive me, I, I don't mean to, but he, he's just a really thin African, kind of tall, slim, and I was worried about him. I wanted to fat him up a little bit. <laughs> But he, he runs deep. 
Um, at any rate, just to quickly get to the story. So finally, they, they said, look, we're going to give you a district. He's not married. And he says, we're going to give you a district that we've never had any, hardly any souls down here for years and years, scores of years. We've had 250 or 70 people down here. We've got 10 little companies. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't know, it's 300 kilometers long and 150 kilometers wide. Don't hold me to those as exact, but it's a big territory. And he says, well, when do you want me to go? They said, tomorrow. He has no car. He has no bicycle. He just uh, finds a rod down there and takes whatever he's got in his Bible. And he goes to work. After about seven or eight months, a conference president calls in and says, you've only had about seven baptisms. What's going on here? He says, just be patient. In the next three months, he had 800. Now, he had a reason. There's a method. Because he began to plead with God. He said, these are hard people. These are hard, hard, hard people. He said he began to plead with God to give him, this, give him the key to their hearts. Give me the key. Give me the access. Teach me. Let me tell you what would happen if you begin to pray to ask God in your sphere. When you leave here, I want you to create a GYC around you. You hearing me? I want, you to create the, I want you to create the kingdom of God around you. I want you to begin to ask God, where, where are the keys to the, my friends? What are the keys to the people I work with? What are the keys to the people I have in, in my neighborhood? What are the keys? And he, he began to plead with God. And he had a, pro, he had a process. So what, so what he would do is he, he went to his elders. And the elder says, well, it's wonderful that you want us to do evangelism. He says, well, that's what the church manual says you're supposed to do. They said, well, this is the deal. The deal is that you're the pot guy that's been hired, and we're volunteers. And so you, you do this, that's fine, but we're not going to help you. He says, no, that's not true. You've got to help me because the Bible says, I mean, the church manual says, you're my, you're, you're my helpers. And they said, no, you don't understand. They started complaining to the conference president about him. Well, he went and visited the church members. He says, why did you elect these people? And they said, he says, did you elect these people to do this job? And they said, yes, we did. So he called a business meeting. And he says, Here, here's these elders. He says, do you want them to do what they what said here? They're supposed to help me. One of the elders got him and says, now you, you have to understand that we're volunteers. And the people said, the people said, no, you either help him or we'll elect somebody else. <laughs> so they elected a few different ones and some of them said, we'll get on board. And these elders got on board. Now he says, you have to help me. And so first of all, they would get them, they would have three months of of Bible studies, then they would have three weeks of meetings or reaping meetings, and then everybody that was baptized had to participate in another evangelistic meeting. He said, I had them three times. And then they baptized them. If I got that quite right. But anyway, they, he, got a, he has a process. Very simple, very direct. And God began to work. God began to work because he didn't, you can say, which, oh, this is Africa, or you can say these people are poor, so God can work in poor places, but he can't work in sophisticated California. You can't work in, in rich Oakland County, Michigan, or, or whatever you want to say. You can give all the stupid, horrible excuses you want to give that God can't work, but I'm telling you that I've never heard of anything any tougher than this one. And then we found out the secret of his success He's on his knees at 2 o'clock in the morning. He's praying from 2 to 6 in the morning. He, said, he told me personally, he says, 
He says, I have, I've, I've had as many as 800 prayer requests on my prayer list, and God answered every one of them. And, and he is absolute passionate about souls. We need to read that book, Actually Apostles, again. The early, the early disciples were absolutely passionate about two things, reflecting the image of Jesus and enlarging his kingdom. I mean, they were just passionate about that. So I know you see a lot of stuff all around you, but I want to tell you that nothing keeps you from getting on your knees at 2 o'clock in the morning. Nothing keeps you from getting on your knees at 5 o'clock in the morning. Nothing keeps you from wrestling with God for souls. Nothing keeps you from doing that. Nobody's going to stop you from doing that. Some of us need, and I say that kindly, turn off the television at night and go to bed so you can get up. The la- one of the last prayers I pray at night is, Lord, you've got to get me up to pray. Do not fail, Lord, to get me up to pray. Do not fail. And Jesus never fails. Two to four, this young man, unmarried, and, and all of a sudden God began, in, in three years, he's got 21,000 Seventh-day Adventists. He has, he has, in three years, he has 270 churches. And I can tell you, miracle after miracle after miracle, he is constantly like this man at midnight. Why does this man go wake his friend up at midnight? Because he's, he's not asking for himself. He has, a, he has a traveler who's come who's hungry, and he goes to his friend to ask for something to give. There is the basic principle. Why do you pray? You pray so that God will give you something to give to somebody else. That is the way Jesus operates. That's the reason he prayed. He was always praying, Lord, give me something that I can give. And God was working miracles. He was working miracle after miracle after miracle. And I don't have time this morning to tell you all of them, but maybe I can, I can pick up one or two just really quick. He, he, he'd get his elders together, and they go out to hold meetings. They're on the back of a truck. They have to carry diesel fuel. And uh, he, gets, he gets, to, he gets to, his, to the place, and they come to him, and they say, listen, we have bad news for you. We're calling, carrying our food for the next three days, and it's all soaked with diesel fuel. So he goes to tell the elders, goes, and uh, he says, well, I hate to tell you this. We don't have any food for the next three days, and we don't have any money to buy any. And about that time, somebody comes running up to him and says, you know, all the diesel, there's no diesel fuel in the food. He says, what do you mean? Because they had picked up the baskets, and it was dripping with diesel fuel. But God sent his angel and just wiped out all the diesel fuel. He said, you couldn't even smell it. There's no smell of diesel fuel. And they ate that food for the next three days. He said he had thousands of people, hundreds of people coming in for a baptism. They have a little camp there next to a river where they baptize people. He has his elders bringing from all over that territory, people coming in to baptize. He says, I didn't have any way. The trains aren't running. He says, I go into the guy that's in charge of the trains. And he says, so I walk in the office. The guy that's in charge of the trains looks at him and says, do you know who I am? He says, no, sir. He says, I don't know who you are. Well, he says, I know who you are. He says, what is it that you would like? He says, sir, he says, I have these elders coming, and they're bringing hundreds of people from this end of my field and that end of my field, and I have no way to get them there. And he says, these are my baptismal dates. This is when I need them. And I need the trains to run on that day, and then two or three days later, I need the trains to run back to take them back home. 
And the man looked at me and says, the trains are going to run that day. He turned to his assistants. He says, save the diesel fuel. And those trains ran that day, and they brought those folk in for the baptism, and they took them home. I tell you, our God is able to do anything. I mean, they, they went into a hospital and baptized everybody, all the leadership. They baptized the physicians. They baptized the nurses. They baptized everybody except the person that was in charge. And the person in charge was just angry, really angry, and determined to undo the work. Within a week, she's dead. Let me tell you, we don't have any understanding of the fear of God. We have no fear of God in this country. I'm, we have no fear of God in the church, very little of it. You read Acts of the Apostles, and it says when the fear of God comes back, that soul winning goes like this. Read the Acts of the Apostles. I don't have time to read all that for you. It's the New Testament talks about the fear of God. And you get hung up on all the little theories you want, but the bottom line is that God is going to require at our hand what he has given us. And we need to be about our Father's business. And our Father's passionate about winning souls. And he will remove any obstacle he needs to to win a soul. There is no soul that can be overcome. But right now, he needs agents. And you cannot be that agent unless you're connected. The only way you're going to get divine power is in the attitude of prayer. The devil's trying to counterfeit prayer today. I know it's a big thing. It's on everywhere, everywhere you go. Uh, it's, it's coming into Christianity through the new age. You know, they have breath prayers and they have Lambeth prayers and they have all of this Mideastern, not Mideastern, this Eastern religion, Hinduism masquerading under the flux of Christianity. You have the emerging church today. It's nothing but a new age uh, deal. I mean, I, I don't have time to spend all that. Just go to the Bible and learn how to pray from Christ. Amen. So let's go back to the parable. The parable is what Jesus uses to teach us how to pray. Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight? By the way, you think he liked waking up his friend at midnight? I don't think he liked waking up his friend at midnight. But he had somebody to give bread to. And so he goes to his friend at midnight and he pleads with him. And he says, look, verse 6, crucial part of the parable. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. My dear friends, you need to be pleading with God every morning. Lord, my friends are here. Midnight is almost here. The world is coming to an end. I have nothing to give them. Oh, Lord God of heaven and earth, get me up this morning so that when I go to work today, when I go to school today, that I become like rivers of water of life rolling around and retracting people to a glorious Savior. Lord, you've got to give me some bread so I can give it to somebody else. Do not think that you have bread within yourself. You must have bread from heaven. You may know the truth, but you still must have it empowered from heaven in order for it to have an effect on the lives of people around you. So what kind of answer did he get? Do not trouble me. All the excuses, my kids around me, I'm going to wake up the kids, I'm going to wake up the wife, my wife is going to be tired of uh, upset with me in the morning. What are you doing down here at my window anyway at midnight? I'm sorry about your friend, why didn't you have prepared for him? I'm, I mean, why, what, what, what's the deal here? And the man says, look, I, I have a friend. He, he doesn't have anything to eat. I, I really got to give him. You've got to help me. You just must help. You, you don't understand. But he wouldn't give up. And then Jesus gives the punchline. He says, you know, he won't give him the bread because he's his friend. This is his friend. 
but because he won't go away, he'll give it to him. Verse 9. So I say to you, ask. And the word there is to keep on asking. You keep asking the rest of your life, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, keep knocking, and it will be given to you. Verse 10 is the promise. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. I want to talk for a few moments about faith and prayer. By the way, they're like two wheels on a bicycle. One chain moves them both. The Bible says that, that God rewards those that diligently seek Him. You see, when you pray in faith, you believe that God can answer your prayer. I, I, I'm going to give you this. I don't know if this is... Oh, this is up here. I don't know. Um, why don't you go to the next thing here? Let's see what I got up there. While he's doing that, I'm going I'm to give you something that is, okay, it's not ready for that yet. Just hang on. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you, this is powerful. It is part of God's plan. It is what? This is coming from Great Controversy 525. It is part, oh, he's got it. It's part of God's plan to grant us in answer to the prayer of faith that which he would not bestow did we not thus ask. Now, let me, let me make that real clear. That means that you've not got a lot of stuff in your life that God would have been happy to have given you if you had asked for it. There's a lot of souls that you could have seen baptized that are not baptized because you didn't ask. Or if you ask, you ask lazy. Prayer is hard work. And let me tell you this. You cannot fill your mind with all this garbage that's on the media. You cannot fill your mind with all this politics. You cannot fill your mind with all... Now, I, I want to say something. I, I, I mean, I can get into politics. I can get, read all this stuff. And, and I do enough just to check, make sure what's going on in the world. But I'm telling you, we've come to the time we've got to saturate our minds with our real mission in life. I want, I want to plead with you. I, I used to drive in the, lot in, the rare, in, in the car and I'd flip on, uh, I don't know, the news station or whatever it was. And you know, I, I told the Lord about a year or so ago, I said, Lord, I, I became convicted. I've just, I just cannot waste another moment. And I said, um, instead of listening to NPR or whatever it is, I, I'm, I'm just going to turn it off. And I'm going to spend that time in the car praying. How much time do you spend in the car? What are you doing in the car? I hope you're praying. If you're not praying, be listening to the Word. But be doing something profitable while you're in the car. And you say, well, what, what, what will people think of me if they see me praying? Well, they're doing all kinds of junk around you. I mean, the cars are going like this and like this. Don't pay attention. 
pray. Hey, I'm serious. I'm not trying to be funny. It is time to pray. It's time to spend that time in prayer and wrestling with God. Epaphras, the Apostle Paul, says to one group of Christians that he wrote to, Epaphras is wrestling with you, wrestling for you in prayer. What does it mean to wrestle with God in prayer? Well, first of all, you've got to believe. You've got to have faith that God is able to do the impossible. You've got to believe that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You've got to believe that he loves to hear and answer prayer. And you've got to believe that he will not answer prayer unless you pray. And if you don't, you've got to meet the conditions. So what are some of the conditions? First of all, let me tell you how you need to be praying. And... uh, This is, um, yeah, that's good, right there. He, this is Christ, if you want to read a a great, go go to this Christ object lessons, asking to give. Elder Paul Retzar brought this to my attention not too long ago. He is full of compassion and he longs to grant the request of those that come to him in faith. He gives to us that we may minister to others and thus become like him himself. Don't miss that last sentence. He gives to us that we may what? Minister to others. So if you're praying selfish prayers, you know, uh, I think Elder Skeet mentioned this earlier, you know, we're praying for this, and we're praying for that. We, we have needs, yes, we have job needs, we have all that kind of thing. But my dear brothers and sisters, we need to be passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. Listen, Jesus can take care of your careers. He can take care of everything. There's not a thing in the world that Jesus can't take care of. But what he needs right now is assaults from, from the earth to his throne over the salvation of souls. That's what he needs. That's what he wants. That's why he went to the cross. So that you can minister to somebody else and then we become like Jesus. Christ's lessons in regard to prayer should be carefully considered. There's a divine science in prayer. And his illustration brings to view the principles that all need to understand. He shows what is the true spirit of prayer. He teaches the necessity of perseverance in presenting our request to God and assures us of his willingness to hear and answer prayer. Our prayers, goes on in Christ's object lessons, our prayers are not to be selfish asking. Uh, The Apostle James says that we ask amiss. Ask yourself, what are my prayers like? Why am I asking? Why do I want my children to be saved? To glorify me or to glorify Him? You know, people pray all kinds of prayers for their children. Not merely for our own benefit. We are to ask that we may give. There's the principle. We are to ask that we may give. When you begin your prayer, you need to be saying, Lord, teach me what to ask for so that I might be able to give. The principle of Christ's life must be the principle of our lives. Our mission to the world is not to serve or please ourselves. We are to glorify God by cooperating with Him to save sinners. By the way, I don't have it. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to find it. But in Acts of the Apostles, the book by Ellen White, these are my words, but close, that said that the early church began to lose their passion for souls 
when they got to arguing among themselves about the theory of salvation. Now we need the basic truth. But I'll tell you, I've come to the place in my life that I just want to accept what the Bible says. There are paradoxes I cannot figure out. I don't have time to talk about them this morning, but I can tell you. But I, I accept it by faith. I cannot unexplain why God is one and three. You can explain that. I've heard all kinds of illustrations, and they all fall short. But I accept it by faith, and I rejoice in its benefits. I don't have to explain it. Our mission to the world is not to serve or please ourselves. We are to glorify God by cooperating with Him to save sinners. We are to ask blessings from God that we may communicate to others. The capacity for receiving is preserved by imparting. Do you get that? If you want to receive... You've got to be like a stream that is constantly sending out to the world around you. I want to tell you that we have a lot of lazy praying going on. And I want to talk for a moment about this whole concept of persistence. We... um, We all like sermons on prayer and we all like to pray. But we don't have this sense that we've got to wrestle with God in prayer. What does it mean to wrestle with God in prayer? What does it mean to be persistent? I mean, we're not like the we're not like the Buddhists that put up flags, you know, little prayer flags. Jesus spoke against that. Well, what does it mean to be persistent? Does that mean that I have to get and rotate over and over? No, it means that I say, God, you, here's your promise. You promised. And God, I'm in great need. I mean, how can I win my, this dear friend of mine? I mean, they're so, their mind is so got it's all this new age stuff or their mind is all this. I, I want to say something else. All this postmodern, uh, you know, and, and we need to understand these things. But I want to tell you that sinners have always been reached in the same way. The carnal heart hasn't changed. It just uses new ex- ways to express itself. What we have to have is the power of God to break through these obstacles in people's minds. Amen. I was... I, I was once, I, I had somebody that I had given Bible studies to and he, he, he kind of moved away from me. And I began to pray, began to plead with God for him. And I said, God, I want you to have him to ask me to study the book of Galatians with him. I stopped by his house one day on the way home. And I was just sitting there talking, standing there. And all of a sudden, out of his mouth, he says, I'd like to study the book of Galatians. <laughs> Let me, let me tell you, God is ready to do miracle after miracle after miracle, but you've got to be willing to wrestle with God. You've got to be willing to wrestle with souls. God is able to move the obstacles and to clear the mind. Satan, listen, in the rules of the war, Satan cannot keep another mind clouded. 
in deception and darkness when God's people pray in their behalf. There have been great and wonderful men of prayer. I think of John Welch, son-in-law of John Knox. He used to get up in the middle of the night and he kept a little blanket, plaid blanket. His wife would find him on the floor weeping. And she'd get on, she was the daughter of John Knox, she'd say, husband, you're going to ruin your health? And he said, woman, don't you know? I have 3,000 souls that are not saved. This was one of these wild west Scottish towns where people would stand up and do it out in the streets. It wasn't in the west, it was in Scotland, one of the border towns. He went into that place and he'd take a, when two people would start to fight it out, he'd take a table and he'd sit it down and he'd say, you sit here and you sit there. And he'd sit there and he'd solve the problems. He'd totally change the town. We need to change our communities. Amen. And we can do it by the grace of God. I, uh, I think of the Syrophoenician woman. My heart is moved every time I think about it. I, I mean, there's, there, there, there's been... Any way you cut the response of Jesus, it's tough. Here's this pagan woman, but she knows that Jesus has the power to cure her daughter of a devil possession... And, and she wants this badly. How badly do you want the salvation of the souls around you? How badly do you want those souls? You know what Jesus said to her. You know how he ignored her. She kept pressing and finally turns to her... And he says, woman, it's not right to give the children's bread to the little dogs. You know, most of us have been out of there early. I mean, it, just the ignoring was, okay, that's what you feel about it. Okay, I'm out. I'm out of here. But let me tell you the difference between that woman and most of us. That woman knew what she wanted. Do you know what you want? Listen, listen. History is littered with good wishes. The only reason we're not in the kingdom now is because we haven't wanted it bad enough. How badly do I want to see Jesus come? I wrestle with God. That's old carnal heart. I plead with God. You've got to give me a passion for the lost. You've got to give me the same heart, God, that you have. I want God's heart. I want to know the mind of the Spirit. We need to be pleading with God to inspire our praying. 
By the way, I have that quote somewhere on there. I don't know where it's at, but you'll find it there again in Christ. I think it's Christ Object Lesson. Paul Retzara brought it to me, and I'd never seen that before. The Bible says the Holy Spirit with groanings that cannot be uttered. And then I'd never seen, I'd never made this connection. I'd often pray, Lord, you know the Holy Spirit is groanings with groanings that cannot be uttered. Hear his intercession in my behalf. But, the, but Ellen White makes this application of that text. Don't worry about the screen, listen to me. This is the application that she makes. That the Holy Spirit moves through our groanings, through our wrestling, through our tears. And that's the way the Holy Spirit intercedes with groanings that cannot be uttered. You say, well, I, you know, I, I'm a phlegmatic. I, Let me tell you, God can give even phlegmatics a passion for the lost. I know you're conditioned to laugh. But I'm talking about serious business here this morning. American audiences have been conditioned to laugh because of the television. We don't know how to weep. If we understood what it meant for one soul to be lost, then we might begin to know how to pray. Finally, that Syrophoenician woman says, Lord, okay. I'll be the little dog, just give, just heal my daughter. The Lord looks at her. This old woman. Pagan, Syrophoenician woman who had little knowledge of the Savior, but what she had, she was willing to extend that faith and trust. And Jesus says, oh woman, great is your faith. How badly do you want to see Jesus come? How badly do you want souls? You want them as badly as that Syrophoenician woman wanted her daughter healed? I know it's hard to get up and it's hard to stay at it. I know there's lots of interference to our prayer life. And there's nothing the devil will work more than to interrupt your prayer life. I've told this back in Michigan and I'm going to share it. No, I'm not going to share it. We need to understand what it means to wrestle like Jacob wrestled. Persistence means, God, I'm not letting you go. By the way, there is a quote here somewhere. Lord must not have me to use those quotes this morning. I'm running out of time anyway. But I want to I talk just a little bit more about fervency in prayer. God tolerates a lot of things, but He has two things that are intolerable. Insincerity and lack of heart. 
By the way, heaven is a poor market for ice. You know, we get up and we pray, Oh, Lord, good morning. I know you love me, Lord. Thank you for taking good care of me this day. So nice to know you, Lord. I'm so glad I'm a Christian. So glad that Jesus did such nice things for me. But there's no passion. You want to learn how to pray with passion and fervency? By the way, it's the fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails much. Then read the book of Psalms. Just take your finger, fall anywhere you want to in the book of Psalms and start to read those prayers and see if they sound, see if they sound lacking passion. I'm just opening up one here. My eyes fell on it. Psalm 51. Verse 14. Can you imagine David saying this this way? Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. The God of my salvation. I don't think David prayed that way. I think he must have prayed something. Oh, God, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. Do you understand, oh, God? Only you alone can do that. We, we need to know what it is to put fervency in our prayers. In fact, there's another quote from Ellen White that says that when we pray with fervency, that that, that in itself is the indication that God is about to answer our prayer. Don't separate the Bible from your praying. I often have the Bible in my praying. I'm often claiming the promises of God. I'm often saying, Lord, Lord, teach me through your word how to ask for the promises. By the way, if you go back to, if you go back to the book Education, in the chapter on faith and prayer, she says there's a divine science in prayer. And if you've ever run into Glenn Coombs, he's dead now, but if you ever get his little book, The ABCs of Prayer, you ought to do it because he encapsulates that paragraph. And it's a very simple illustration that Ellen White uses. She says it's a divine science. And uh, she says just as the tree is in the acorn, if you've ever done, I remember as a little boy I'd open seeds and my dad would point out to me the little plant that was already in the seed. So in every acorn there's already the tree. So in every promise of God, the answer is already there. The reality is already there. You have to ask, you have to believe, and you have to claim. And you never ask outside the will of God. I don't want anything outside the will of God. I'm not going to ask God to give me something that's not within His will. I will always end up praying, saying, Lord, not my will be done, but Thine be done. But, but we do not get because we do not ask. If you have the promise, the promise is sure. And God will give the promise, but you've got to claim it. You've got to believe it. You've got to ask for it. And you cannot be, you cannot be um, lazadaisical about that. What would happen in your life if you spent two hours every morning in prayer, wrestling with God? What would happen in your life if you spent four hours Let me tell you, the great people that have moved God's church through the centuries have been great men and women in prayer. Every great revival, every movement of primitive, the the return to primitive godliness will come on the wings of prayer. It'll come on the intercessory prayer. 
So we must be persistent in prayer. Like that Syrophoenician woman, we must not let go of God's arm. Ellen White saw an angel, and she asked the question to the angel. She says, why is there so little power in Israel? And the angel answered her and says, because you let go of the arm of the Lord too soon. God has reasons. Say, well, why does God want us to be persistent in prayer? Well, there, there, are, many, there are many answers. So maybe I will tell this. My little girl was five years old. She's going to be six. You know that was a long time ago. <laughs> Here she is. She comes to me. She's, she's a sweetie. Both my children are adopted. Makes them extra special. <clears throat> you kind of have to understand something about me. I, I, I never really wanted little animals in my house. I, nothing against that. The story ends okay for those of you who have animals. But I, 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 I didn't want little animals in my house. My little daughter comes to me. And she's a little animal person. She says, Daddy, can I have a bird for my birthday? Well, I went through the list. Our Heavenly Father does the same thing. You know, it's going to cost you this. and got to clean the cage and, you know, the list. And I... And she says, okay, Daddy. And I'm up early in my home, and, I, and I, when I'm, I'm up early, and I'm in my study upstairs. And I hear little footsteps coming up the stairs. There's nobody else up. And pretty soon there's a little face in the crack of the door saying, Daddy, can I come in? And I said, sure, sweetie. So she comes in, and she crawls up on my lap. Now, you're going to smile, but I want to tell you something. There's a serious issue here. She covers my face and kisses. And then she looks at me and she gets down to what's on her heart. She says, Daddy, can I have a bird for my birthday? <laughs> now let me tell you this, that it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you need to be crawling into your Heavenly Father's lap. Amen. And He loves to have you cover His face and kisses. He likes to hear you tell him that you love him. He likes to hear you pour out your heart to him in adoration and praise. By the way, there's not enough thanksgiving and there's not enough adoration and there's not enough praise. We need to be starting our prayers off saying, God, thank you for this and thank you for that. The problem is we get discouraged because we have such poor memories. We have such poor memories because we don't praise the Lord. She kept that up a month. Now, I'm telling you, listen to, you, listen to this. Your heavenly Father understands this. You, you, you think that He doesn't want to draw you? Do, you? do you think that your heavenly Father loves you as much as I love my little girl? Or does He love you more? Do you not think He just wants to, to bring you to Himself? You know, I, I, I determined she was going to get the bird long ago. But I wanted that persistence because it was building relationships. It was also inculcating in your mind that when I gave her the gift, that she would take good care of it and appreciate it. Amen. So when God gives you souls, you really appreciate them. You don't become like some gunslinger. I got a new notch on my gun. Your life of prayer. God is waiting for your life of prayer. And I know 
You're all people of prayer. But you, you have to understand, I'm pleading with you to go to another level. I am pleading with you to set aside time to wrestle with God in prayer, with your Bible, on your knees. I am pleading with you to do that. You want to go home. Jesus had just been through Jericho. Crowd was with him. There was a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. He's sitting on the road. And somebody told him, Bartimaeus, Jesus is coming down the road with a crowd. And immediately, Bartimaeus jumped up and he started to shout, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the very friends that probably led him there, that had seen him there day after day with his begging, who had seen the misery that blindness had brought to his life, the very ones who probably told him that Jesus was along the road, they were embarrassed. And so they turn to blind Bartimaeus and they say to him, Be quiet. But blind Bartimaeus understood something. He understood that this was his only chance to see. And he wouldn't be quiet. And he kept shouting, Jesus, thou son of God, thou son of David, have mercy on me. I can hear him in my mind's eye. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Even here as I'm repeating it, we feel almost embarrassed. Jesus, he wouldn't be quiet. Jesus, you son of David, have mercy on me. He wouldn't be quiet. He wouldn't be stopped. He wouldn't be silent. Because he knew his only hope of ever seeing again was in that one divine man who was walking along the road of Jericho. Suddenly, the master stops. The crowd stops. Jesus says, bringing to me. And now the same friends that had said... Bartimaeus, hush up. Listen, there are many so-called friends. Your television, your internet, your, your cell phone, your whatever that's trying to keep your cries from going up to God Almighty who alone can answer those prayers. Even friends who will say, don't be fanatical. Well, God deliver us from fanaticism, but may God help us to understand what it means to petition the Almighty. Listen, we're up against huge forces that we don't understand. Do we not understand it's almost midnight? Do we not understand that Rome has just about got it locked up? 
Don't we understand that Babylon is already formed, that she's just waiting for the right moments to make her move? And do you not already know that Americans' mindset has already been preconditioned and set? And when this thing comes, it's going to come with a swiftness. Do you not know that Ellen White says that the last message of God's remnant people will go like lightning in the earth? It will have to go like lightning. And the only way it will go like lightning is because it will go on the wings of our prayers. As Jesus looks at blind Bartimaeus, he knows what he wants. But he asked him anyway. What do you want me to do? There stands the Almighty. There stands the God, the Creator of heaven and earth. There stands the Savior sitting at His right hand, dressed in His priestly robes. There they stand in the Holy Spirit moving. And they look at the remnant church. They look at you as young people. They look at you as the beginning of a movement. And they ask you, What do you want? You want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? You want the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You want this message to go like lightning in the earth? You want to become a mighty power for the Lord Jesus wherever you're planted? You want to be used by God to win souls all around you? Unbelievable. You want to watch God work miracles like you've never seen before? You want to see the heavens come down to the earth? What is it that you want? You want the outpouring of the Spirit of God? How badly do you want the outpouring of the Spirit of God? How badly do you want it? You may have it. If you want it as badly as blind Bartimaeus wanted to see. Our Heavenly Father. Oh, Lord. How many mornings have we spent sleeping in? How many days have we been past listening to this, that, or the other? How many moments of eternity have slipped by and how many have gone to Christless graves? How many loved ones do we have yet unsaved? How many people are still in darkness, Lord, and never even heard the name of Christ? Much less the third angel's message. How many Catholic friends and Protestant friends? How long shall we see abominations within our own churches at times. How long, O oh Lord, do we just keep going down this road without wrestling with you until the unseen forces of heaven come down? God, may you forgive our negligence. O oh God, our heavenly Father, Actuate these young people with the true, genuine, 
spirit of prayer. Make them the most mighty petitioners the world has ever seen. Let them have a double portion of the spirit of the early church. Let the petitioning of the apostles fall on them. Both men and women, may they pray, Heavenly Father, until no longer can the dams of heaven hold back all the prayers of the saints through the centuries that have pled for the culmination of your work and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let them assault heaven until they become the generation that finishes this work and we all go home together. Do not turn a deaf ear to us, O God. We may deserve you to turn a deaf ear, but do not do it. Have pity upon us. Restore, Heavenly Father, truth and mercy to your people and cast the sins of the remnant into the depths of the sea. Have pity upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.